we've been thinking a lot about global focus over the last few weeks and months. It may be just kind of coming on your radar in the last couple of days as we've been mentioning it, but really for us, this is a very important season of life as we make our final preparations. And I want to introduce you to our theme for the year. It's hope. And you see the verse on this side from Matthew chapter 12 and verse 21. That's where we're going to be in our Bible study today. If you want to go ahead and find it and get a head start. Uh, This is an important season of life for us because if you think about what Jesus left his disciples to do, it's summed up for us in the Great Commission. And I'm going to read that from another chapter in Matthew. And you may know this verse or these verses, I should say. But this is after Jesus was crucified, buried, raised from the dead. And all of the gospels really have a kind of go statement in them to go into all the world, a mission statement. And this is Matthew's version of that. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, this has to be important because these are the last words Jesus is giving the disciples right before he ascends in the book of Acts through the right hand of the Father. And he's instructing all of his followers, the present day in which he was speaking all the way down into the future, which includes us, about what our focus needed to be. And I want you to just notice a few things that weren't in the text. And you're a smart crowd, so you didn't see these either. But did you notice he didn't say you need to build a brand? Not there. He didn't say build beautiful buildings? Not there. He didn't say start Christian schools? Not there. He didn't say have life groups. And most importantly, he didn't say have a potluck dinner. I hate those things. Thank God they're not in the Bible. (laughs) To be fair, Jesus didn't say we couldn't do those things either though, did he? Because all of those things, and I'll begrudgingly admit, even potluck dinners can help us build the kingdom, right? All of those things, if used in the right way, can point people to the gospel and be used to build the kingdom and be part of us fulfilling the great commission. And so everything we need to do needs to be centered around reaching people first, discipling them second. If we don't reach them, there's no one to disciple. We have to reach them, disciple them, and teach them to observe everything the Lord has commanded us. That's our mission. And as a church, many years ago, we adopted a formal strategy to do that. I think it was 12 years ago. We had a group of people from a mission organization come in and speak to us and train us in this. Their mission group was called Global Focus. We liked the name so much we just kept it. We we do everything that they taught us to do and, and we didn't come up with a better name or a fancier name because it gives you the idea of what we're trying to accomplish. We want to fulfill the Great Commission and get this idea that everybody has something Global Focus taught us many years ago. You have a responsibility inside the walls of the church and outside the walls of the church. And you can't neglect either one to the exclusion of the other. It's both and. And one key point that we learned that week was that the light that was going to shine farthest away would shine the brightest at home. So we have to have a great church. We have to have great ministries inside the church. And that leads us to go out into all the world 
and be able to do that. Now, every year we bring this up because this really is, in my estimation, the most important thing that we do because it centers around what Jesus exactly told us to do. So when we do this, what we hope happens every year for this month that we'll spend talking about this is that your vision gets bigger of what God might be doing in the world. Because sometimes we get kind of that, that tunnel vision where we only see what's right in front of us and God's doing great things all around the world and we need to see that. And not only that, that you'll be burdened by that and you'll, you'll see the darkness that exists in the world and you'll want to make an impact for the kingdom in the darkness. Let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 12 and we're gonna start in verse 15. Every year, as I'm reading through the Bible, one of the things that I'm doing is taking notes in my journal and this season of life is always in the back of my mind. And I'm prayerfully asking the Lord to bring a verse or two verses to mind. And when he does that, I write them down in the journal. And if I really think that it's getting to missions, I send myself an email and let it just sit in the inbox for a season, knowing that this is coming. And that's exactly what happened this year. I was reading and this just popped up and, and the Lord just spoke to me. And it was this key verse in verse 21, but I want you to see verse 15. Jesus was aware of this and withdrew. Well, what was he aware of? That the people wanted to kill him because he had healed a man with a withered hand. We'll come back to that. We've already studied that in the gospel of Luke, but it was on the Sabbath day and they're very angry about it. Large crowds followed him and he healed them all. He warned them not to make him known so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout and no one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. Now, when we think about what was going on in Jesus's life at this point, Matthew's been giving us some stories about Jesus, including the man with the withered hand who has been healed on the Sabbath. But now the, the writer Matthew stops and he interjects something that ties the Old Testament to the New Testament. And he wants you and I to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And this is very important. Jesus is the glue that binds all of the Bible together. He's the red thread that goes all the way through the scripture, binding it together for us. And as he does this, he quotes a large passage from the book of Isaiah. And then he tacks on this verse at the end that says, the nations will put their hope in his name. So I want you to see how scripture was fulfilled. In verse 18, it tells us that the servant that God was going to choose was going to be called his beloved in whom the Lord would delight. Now, I know this may sound a little bit redundant to those of you who've been in church your whole life, but Jesus is that person. John three sixteen. we were just seeing it. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no other name by which we're saved. No one is called the beloved of God, the only begotten son. It's Jesus and no one else. And I'm not trying to be exclusive about that. I don't need to be. Jesus was. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one will come to the father 
except through me. And I think it's very important that we acknowledge that because we live in a world where that's not popular to believe in the exclusivity of your God. People say, well, that's mean. And people often say to me, you know, I believe that all religions in the end will work themselves out to get to one God. That's a great statement not found in the Bible anywhere. Christians, listen to what I'm about to say. You will not be a Christian and believe that you can't. It's impossible. Those two ideas of Jesus saying, I am the way, I am the truth, and you saying, well, no, all roads lead to heaven, that's not true. You, you can't hold that idea in your brain and say, I'm a Christian and I believe Jesus. Jesus spoke about himself. But verse 18 says that God was also going to put his spirit on the Messiah. And we know this because we studied it already in the Gospel of Luke at the baptism of Jesus. Let me remind you from verse 22 of chapter three in Luke's Gospel. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in physical appearance like a dove. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. That doesn't happen to anyone else. God gave a visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit's presence and power on Jesus' life because he is the beloved son who pleased the father. And the spirit allowed Jesus to come and proclaim justice to the nations. But it's also important to see how Jesus was going to do this. Look at verse 19. He will not argue or shout. And no one will heal his voice, hear his voice in the streets. As Jesus healed people, he does this thing that's so funny to me. And, and I, I, you know, I understand it in the one side of my brain, but I don't in the other. He heals people and he says, now don't tell anybody I did this. Yeah, right. You know, I'm sorry, but that's probably a command I'm gonna disobey. What are you gonna be? Like your, your hand was withered and the next day it's not. And somebody says, hey, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> Crazy. I can't tell you. What do you mean you can't tell me? No, I mean, you remember Jesus would heal people of leprosy and they would come back proclaiming that God was great. He'd heal their hand and, and they would shout uh, glad tidings of what God was doing. He would give them their sight back and he would do that. I mean, he was doing that, but why did Jesus not want to build a following like that? Well, he knew that the Jews wanted a Messiah who was going to come and reign on the earth and his reign is so much bigger than just the earth. Now we don't think like that because what could be better than being the king of the earth? Well, how about the king of the world, the inhabitants, all that's in it, the world that we can't see, the heavens, all of that. He has it all. Now the Jews several times tried as he did these great things to push him to the forefront. He wasn't interested in that. And it says that Jesus was operating quietly. I wanna just remind us of something for just a moment. That's not a bad way for you to operate either. It says that Jesus didn't argue with people and he didn't shout. There's a vein that's happening in Christianity right now that thinks that winning the argument's more important than winning the soul. Folks, that's wrong. To win the argument and lose the soul, we lost. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus wasn't arguing with people. He was not shouting down people, berating them with the gospel. He's operating quietly. Now, he sometimes taught in large groups, but think about as we read the gospels what he's doing. He's with the disciples. He's eating with people. He's going to their homes. He's healing them as he goes along this way. I mean, Jesus is doing these things 
and he's doing them for the kingdom of God. It's not about winning people so that he gets influence over them. He's trying to win them to the kingdom of God and we need to do the same. The point of the next line says that he wasn't in the streets. No one heard his voice in the streets. Again, not building something for himself. Always pointing people to the Father. We take the life of Christ, we point people to Jesus. We try to to let people know that the gospel is available and they can be saved by it. That they can have a relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son. And we don't have to do it in ways that everybody notices that we do it. We can do it just by sending food to a place that needs it. You watch what Jesus did. He healed people. He fed people. You can do that. You say, well, how could I do that? I can't heal people. Sure you can. You could go to Brazil this next year with Carl and Wanda King and serve on one of their medical mission trips. And you might be the person who works in the triage, the queue line as people are waiting and just sharing the gospel with people. You, you, might, you might get to go and, and stay with us at Casa David and, and let me take you on that mission trip and, and you come with me and let it be your first trip and come and visit with those residents and share the gospel and give them a, a warm cup of soup and some coffee and, and just let them know that there's a God that loves them. That's the gospel. There's a savior who died for them. Well, verse 20 shows us the way in which Jesus did it too, his attitude. It says, he will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. A bruised reed, if you understand what we're talking about here, a reed is, is sometimes we find them around ponds or whatever. They're, they're round and they kind of stick up straight out of the water. And if you see a bruised one, it leans over. And you can't always see the damage. It may not even be cut but a bruised reed has something going on on the inside that has happened to it. And, and so it lays over. And did you notice what the scripture says Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't walk up to bruised reeds and stomp them and crush them. He tenderly deals with them. He's tender. The way that he does that, and, and this scripture is speaking about the Jewish people. He's saying he's not going to crush those people that, that are his own. He says, like a bruised reed, he's tender with them. And then it says, he doesn't put out a smoldering wick. It's this idea that that the flame may not be burning bright right now, but God doesn't come by and squash it. He waits for it. He cultivates it until he's led justice to victory. When I think about the way that the Lord deals with us tenderly, I always think about the story of the prodigal son. I've been a prodigal son. Maybe you have too. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to walk away from the Lord. And and the story says that there's a young man who wants his inheritance and he takes it from his father and, and goes far away and just spends it foolishly. But the scripture says that the father saw him coming back in the distance. And what do you imagine the father would do? He'd wait back and say, I told you so. I knew you'd be back. It doesn't say that at all. You have this picture of the father waiting every day, looking with great anticipation. I, no, that's not him. Wait, someone's coming on the horizon. It's him. And what does the father do? He runs to him. God's so tender to us. He's so patient with us. Maybe today you feel like you've 
kind of wandered away from the Lord. Can I tell you something that I, I believe with all of my heart? I think it's exhibited in the story of the prodigal son. If you'll turn and take a half step to God, he'll meet you right there. You don't have to come all the way back. He'll come to you and he'll bring you home. Jesus is so tender with us. And that leads us to verse 21. The nations will put their hope in his name. When it translates this word, the nations will put their hope in his name, it's talking about us, the Gentiles. So this is an amazing thing because if you have placed your faith in Christ, you have been part of the fulfillment of this prophecy. You are a living fulfillment of the prophecy that scripture speaks to us. This is a verse of rejoicing. Earlier, we saw that God is dealing tenderly with the lost sheep of Israel. He's not stomping them out and, and extinguishing the flame that's smoldering. He's cultivating that. This verse is the expectation that God was going to start fulfilling what he promised to Abraham so long ago. Abraham goes into this covenant with God and God says, I'm gonna make you a nation and I'm going to bless all nations through your line. That's us. Through Christ, we have been blessed by this. But this verse also builds excitement and it sets a burden in front of us, doesn't it? Because it's saying that there's something happening right now. We see it, we understand it. It's happening now, it's as we speak, but it's not complete. The completion of this verse is actually talked about in the book of Revelation. I'd like to read it for you in chapter seven of the book of Revelation. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, shouting out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who's seated on the throne and to the lamb. Can I tell you something great about this is that you, you know that God knows everything. It's not just that he knows the past, he knows the present, and he knows the future. And this verse perfectly gives us something that could have never been imagined in the day that it was written. Geopolitical lines, nations. So you say, well, I'm part of a nation. Well, are you part of a tribe? Well, I'm not part of a tribe. I mean, there's some people that are parts of tribes, but if you're not part of a nation, you're not part of a tribe, Guess what the Lord says? Peoples. Well, that covers all of us. And then it gets specific. Languages. Every language represented. And what it says is that from Abraham until now, into the book of Revelation, this prophecy is fulfilled. It stands like a light in the darkness that God is doing something. He set up Jesus to be the hope of the nations. And as we place our faith and trust in Christ, we're part of fulfilling the prophecy. As we share Christ with people, we're part of fulfilling the prophecies. And the Bible says that one day there's going to be a throng of people too big to be numbered standing in front of the throne all nations, all languages, all tribes, everyone will have a representative there. There will be someone from every tribe, tongue, nation, people, language, shouting the glory of God. That's what global focus is all about. That's why we do this. We need this worldview because it speaks to what God is doing and what he's going to do. And that's why hope is our theme this year because what hope do we have if it's outside of Jesus? That's our only hope. This is a hope that won't disappoint because it's a hope that changes people's lives 
and we get to be part of it. So I want to just give you some, some ways that that happens every year in Global Focus and explain some of these things. So hang with me and we're gonna come back to the invitation in just a moment because there's an invitation for all of us in the room. But Global Focus relies on two things. And if we don't have these two things, they don't work. The first is that Global Focus needs champions. If you've ever been a champion for one of our mission projects, would you just raise your hand in the room? Um, raise them high, that's good. Now look around, a lot of people around here. And this is important that you see this because I promise you that these people are just normal people, just like you. But what they do is they found a ministry and they brought it back to us and said, hey, we think our church could partner with this. And when you do that, that ministry comes before our global focus executive team. That's Justin Bennett, he's in this service. Daniel Boone was in the first service. Joe Roberts in the first service, Beth Moore. And they look at those projects and say, is this a partnership that we could do together? They prayerfully consider them. And if they say yes, then that champion champions and cheerleads that ministry for the next year to three years that we serve with them. It's very important that they do this. Without champions, we don't have any projects. And here's what I wanna say to you. We need champions. We need more champions. Now, not every project is a fit. We recognize that, but it might be. And if you don't tell us about it, we'll never know about it. So if you have something that you know about that we should be in, in partnership with, bring that to me, bring it to one of the other pastors and we'll help you get started in the process of becoming a champion. We've got resources for you. We'll help you do that. Now, the second thing that I wanna say about what a champion does is they help us determine a level of partnership. There are basically two levels of partnership. Level one is the, the, the champion says, this ministry needs prayer and support. So we pray for them and then we give them a little bit of financial help. The one that comes to my mind, because it's just kind of that season right now of school and everything is first priority. My children have been in first priority, blessed in their schools to be part of that. And first priority is in a lot of schools around the area and they need a little bit of support and they need churches to pray for them and support them in prayer, but financially as well. Level two partnerships are partnerships that have prayer and support and we send people to work with them. This is a really important thing. Level twos are very important. And the one that comes to mind right now is But God Ministries, BGM. They serve in Haiti and they also serve in Mississippi. And they've just been doing a great job of, of building out whole life communities through spheres. So they do things like uh, they work in education, they work in medical, they work in economic, and then they add a spiritual component to it. We had a group go down there and do construction, but they also did vacation Bible school at a church. I mean, it's very important for us to do that. Level two partnerships are the ones that we invite to come back every year for our global impact celebration. That's gonna take place September 15th, 16th, and 17th. Please mark that on your calendar and make sure that you are here. We want you to be a part of this. So the first thing that we have to have are champions because that's how we get ministries. The second thing that we have to have is funding. How do we fund all of this? Well, we ask you to give and we ask you to give throughout the year to three different things. And I'm gonna explain them to you in the order of importance. The first is a faith promise offering. We ask you, and I want you to start now, start praying, God, what would you like me to give to our mission work this next year? 
This is not a tithe. This is not Malachi 3.10. Bring the tithes into the storehouse. All the money you give to missions leaves this church to go out and serve the kingdom. That's what it's for, okay? So we ask you to pray about that and to come back and give monthly through the year to support our mission partners. Now, this is always a point of contention. We give you a card to pray over and we ask you to turn it back in. And some of you don't turn it back in and it makes our lives a little difficult because you give, but you don't turn the card in. And what the cards say to us is how we're going to build our budget for the year with our partners. Now, it's anonymous. Don't put your name on it. Nobody's gonna come to your house and say, hey man, you're $5 short, pay up. It doesn't work that way. It's an anonymous thing. This is between you and the Lord, but that number becomes very important because that executive team, Justin and Joe Roberts and Beth Moore and Daniel Boone, build out these budgets with our partners and that's how they're funded, okay? Now, if we don't do that, we don't have a mission opportunity this year. You've got to do it that way. The second thing we ask you to do is to come and give to our one-day offering on September 17th. You'll get an offering envelope, or if you're in the app or online, you can select one-day offering, and anything you give goes specifically that day to a ministry we feel like we need to pour some gasoline on the fire to send them a little further down the road. This year, our one-day offering is going to be Pioneer Bible Translators again. Pioneer Bible Translators finished the Toma Bible that you guys supported a few years ago, and the missionaries that finished it are coming to be with us on our, our GIC. And I'm so glad, I'm so excited about that. And you're gonna hear more about that, but we wanna support them in a way so that they can take the language of God, his word, and send it to people all around the world. Now, I want you to think about something. If you brought a Bible in here, would you hold it up? I have one. Hold it up high. If you have more than two Bibles at home, keep your Bibles up. Keep it up. Come on. More than five, keep it up. More than 10, keep it up. Anybody like total Bible nerd with like more than 20? Okay, only the pastor, praise the Lord. You know, uh, that's good. But I want you to think about something. Can you imagine not having the Bible in your language? See, when the Tower of Babel happened, what they were trying to do was build this tower to the sky so they could worship idolatrous things up there. And God spread them out and confused their language. When we uh, take an opportunity to get the Bible translated for somebody, do you know what happens? That's reversing the curse so that one day, every tribe, every tongue, every language, all peoples, every, it will all be there. And so we want people to have the word of God in their language. Everyone deserves to be able to hear the word of God and know that God loves them. So faith promise offering through the year supports our missionaries. Secondly, one day offering given and it's all gonna go to Pioneer Bible Translators. On that day, everything you give in that offering envelope will go to them. The third thing is the most fun. And you guys love this, and I love it too, but if we don't do the first two things, we're dead in the water. So don't get so excited about the third thing that you skip thing one and thing two. The third thing is our night of giving. If you've never experienced a night of giving, you are in for a treat. Today, at the end of our service, our intern, Tyler Dunn, is gonna come explain what this looks like, and out in the lobby, you will be able to get a card where you can bless one of our mission partners that will be here, 
so that they can know that they're loved. Can I tell you a story? Two weeks ago, Isaiah and I were in Guatemala and we were embedded with another team from another church. And the missionary, Marvina, said, Pastor Jeff, could you and I, Isaiah, explain to this church about your night of giving? Because it's the best thing in the world. No, one's, no one does it like that. And, and we didn't come up with this. Again, we're not, we're not smart. We don't come up with these things on our own. We steal it from the people that tell us what to do. You know what I mean? It's take a good idea and you run with it. And so I began to explain it, how we give gifts to our missionaries. Sometimes they ask for things they need in their office work or their mission work. Sometimes they've asked for video games for their kids. Sometimes they've asked for a pair of shoes. Sometimes they've asked for computers. And you guys have faithfully bought those things and you bring them back that night and give them to them. And here's what Miss Marvina said to me that day. She said, Pastor, a couple of years ago, I brought someone who leads our mission work in Honduras to be with you guys. And he said, with tears in his eyes after the night of giving, my whole life, all I've ever done is try to give to people and give to people and no one's ever given me anything. I'm overwhelmed by this. Can I read a verse of scripture? I wasn't planning on reading this. I didn't read it in the first service, but I think it's important because this is what we believe about these people who are coming. You're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, aren't you? Where the, the roll call of faith happens. The Bible starts going through all these people who lived by faith in the Old Testament. But it gets to this interesting uh, passage at the end of Hebrews 11. And it talks about all these great things God has done. But then in verse 36, it says, others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Listen to this line. The world was not worthy of them. When you meet your mission partners that God's put into relationship with us, these are not people who decided this was gonna be great for their career. It didn't build their portfolio for retirement. The world isn't worthy of them. This is our chance one night a year to just say, we love you and we recognize what you're doing for the kingdom. May not be much to you, but it's a big impact, big impact. So as we think about these things, I want to just ask you to consider three things as we close and then we'll be done. First, have you put your hope in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he your savior? If there's never been a time in your life where you've given your life to Christ and been saved, I want you to do it today. I'd love to speak with you after our service and tell you what that's like and how you can do that. And I'll, I'll open up the Bible and we'll read scripture together and you'll see it so clearly. God loves you and he wants you to know him. But the only way you can do that is through Christ. Secondly, I want you to begin praying right now how you're going to give through our faith promise offering, our one day offering and our night of giving to the partners. Start now. Don't show up Sunday and go, oh, I forgot. Start now and ask the Lord, Lord God, what are you going to give through me this year that you haven't purposed for me? It's not about me. It's about someone else. God, give me that. Let me see that and, and let me have that. And the Lord will bless you in that. Finally, 
I want you to pray about going. I, I wish that maybe your answer to the question would be yes before you even know where it is. We were talking about this not long at home uh, because our, our teenagers were asking us, how does a pastor, like how did you move? How do you know these things happen or, the, or that it's time to do that? And I said, kind of the only way I know how to explain it is, you know, as Christians, we're soldiers in the Lord's army, all of us. And where he directs us, that's where we go. So for some of us this morning, the answer needs to be yes before the question's ever asked. Because if the question was asked, we know the answer would be no. Some of you need to go on a short-term mission trip this year. It's time for you to do that. But I believe that somebody in here may need to go and surrender to the call of serving the Lord in full-time Christian ministry. Maybe God's been dealing with you on that. And it's time for you to say yes. Even before he's worked out all of the particulars, just to say, as Isaiah did, here am I, send me. Would you bow for prayer this morning? Father, as we enter this season, we're praying that you would help us to be on purpose with our mission work, Lord, to be excited about what you're doing, to have a burden for what you're doing. And Father, I'm praying for the one who doesn't know you today, that they would put their hope in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm praying, Father, for us as we seek to think about how we're going to give. Father, we know that you will supply the needs of our mission partners through your riches and glory. Thank you for letting us do it. Father, bring them here safely. Let us bless them so that they know as they're serving you in the places you've called them to be, there's a church standing behind them. And God, I just pray for some of us in the room. Our answer needs to change this morning. It needs to be yes. God, you've called us. You've shown us. Now lead us to that, that trip we're supposed to take. Or Lord, maybe the change of life that's supposed to happen is you're calling us into the field full time. God, I pray that we would surrender our will to yours. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen.